Welcome to Revival Leadership Insights with Ed Crenshaw, a podcast for empowering and equipping leaders for revival in the greater Philadelphia region and throughout our nation. Thanks for tuning in today. If you are enjoying these podcasts, we invite you to subscribe, follow us on Facebook, and to check out edcrenshaw.com for free resources to train church leaders today for revival tomorrow. This week, Ed Crenshaw will be talking about how to prevent head trash. Happy Valentine's Day. Are you ready for love? I think it's very, very appropriate to ask that question. Are you really ready for love? And it's appropriate to read from probably the, the greatest love book of the Bible, and that is the Song of Solomon. And it's all about love. It's about the love of a young man and a young woman. It is about real intimacy, physical intimacy. I know a lot of people interpret it as something of a metaphor for the love of God for his church, but it is very, very intimate, very sexual, just to be honest, to be direct. And so we're going to just begin with some words from the woman, the young lady in Song of Solomon. These are words about her beloved. Song of Solomon chapter 2, beginning with verse 3. She says, Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. What does this passage mean? It means with regard to being ready for love, slow down, slow down. Ask yourself, am I really ready for for love. Now you might have noticed we wrapped up with that phrase, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Did you know something almost exactly like that is repeated three times in the Song of Solomon? And that means that it's a very important message for this book of the Bible. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And this is very strongly stated. This is a command. I charge you. As one translation says, I adjure you. This is a very strong command. So we ought to pay attention to it. And she says, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Now that should be a strong indication of how important it is to obey this charge, not to awaken or rouse love until the proper time. I mean, after all, gazelles and does, they really do influence and uh, direct our lives, right? Wrong. So why, why does she say, I adjure you or charge you by the gazelles or the does of the field? Well, let's put it this way. If I were to sing a maze of grapes, how sweet and round. What would you think of? Yeah, you would think amazing grace, how sweet the sound. 
Now, what does that have to do with gazelles and does? Well, in Hebrew, when a person recited or sang this song, the Song of Solomon, they would be saying by the gazelles and does of the field, but that would almost sound exactly like, I charge you by the Lord God Almighty. A Hebrew speaker would have heard that behind the phrase by the gazelles and does of the field. So it's able to keep its poetic pastoral imagery, but yet lend real strength to this charge, this command by saying, by implying this is by the Lord God Almighty himself. So somebody would have easily heard or understood, I adjure you by the Lord God Almighty, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And you might have noticed that arouse and awaken are both in this one phrase. Why the two words? Especially when you understand that the two words are from the same root, arouse, awaken, from the same Hebrew root word. One Bible scholar, very trustworthy Bible scholar, says that what is being said is here is whatever you do. Whatever you do, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. This is very strong. And I believe it really applies to a lot of us today. Do not arouse or awaken love until the time is right. You must be ready. Slow down. Slow down. Why? Why? Because God doesn't want us to awaken something for which we're not really ready, especially when you understand what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a powerful force. You might even say it's the most powerful force in the universe, the power of love. So what is it about the nature of love that might demand of us that we not awaken it? until the right time. Well, the uh, young lady says in the passage that we just read that his banner over me is love. That's what she sees, his banner. Now, what's that talking about? That's really using a very powerful image, a military image. You can think about a military unit going out to battle, flying their, their battle flags, their banner. And the banner over her life is the love of her beloved. That's a, a militant love. It's a strong love. It's a love that fights for the object of that love. And the banner might also be interpreted as his intention over me is love. In other words, this is a militant intention. This is not a frivolous matter. This is a strong matter. It's such a bond of love that really the only appropriate place for its full expression is the bond of marriage. This is strong. And it has an impact on her. She says, I am faint with love. It is all-consuming, all-encompassing. And so this kind of love, this kind of power, this kind of force should not be aroused or awakened, whatever you do until you're ready for it. Well, what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you? And this is probably especially speaking to those who are single. Let me maybe share what it doesn't mean in particular, what it does not mean for you. Quite a few years ago, a book came out that really took the church world by storm called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. That book, uh, 
actually littered a lot of minds in the church world with a lot of head trash. Uh, it did. And I think the intentions were okay because what it wanted to address was an out-of-control dating system that was too much characterized by sensuality, by sexuality, too many young people rushing into sexual intimacy. And, and clearly that can lead to a lot of problems, and it still is a problem. But the thrust of the book was to kiss dating goodbye, stop dating. And that put a lot of pressure on any male-female relationship because you only wanted to court when you thought you could marry that person. That is a lot of pressure for a young person, a young couple. Uh, you know, we can only see each other on a date. We can only go out to dinner. We can only go to a movie together if we're going to get married. <laughs> That's putting the heavy weight on that. And I think it's a little bit contrary to the, the thrust of this passage. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Doesn't mean that if you go out with somebody, you have to be moving toward marriage, right? Uh, so avoid that pressure. And as far as determining who you could date, you know, can you date them without going toward marriage? Well, how else do you find if you're going to go toward marriage without dating? Don't kiss dating goodbye. What do we need to kiss goodbye? What we need to kiss goodbye is this, this inappropriate connection, this inappropriate passion, inappropriate uh, Romance, if you want to call it that, inappropriate intimacy before you know you're going to get married. Uh, see, sexual intimacy before marriage is still a real problem. And that's what the book is trying to, to deal with. Uh, exercise caution. But the real lesson is don't awaken love until the proper time. So whether you're 16 or whether you're 60, don't be doing things to stir up passions that you're not going to be easily able to control. So don't be doing things to stir up passions until you know, like the young lady says in the Song of Solomon, until you know this is somebody whose shade you want to sit under for the rest of your life. <laughs> don't stir up passions until you know until you know that this is a person whose fruit you want to taste for the rest of your life. And that might sound a little bit uh, a little bit too intimate, but that's what she talks about. That's right out of this passage. So the advice from the Song of Solomon would save a lot of people a lot of pain, especially people who rush into sexual intimacy before the time that God says it would be right, which is the strong bond of marriage. And I believe that if we would take this advice very seriously, it would save a lot of people a whole lot of emotional pain. And really that's what head trash is, a lot of emotional pain that shapes our lives, that sometimes sabotages our lives and takes us in a direction that God doesn't want us to go. And I imagine there are a few of you listening to this message right now who can think of a romantic relationship that you entered into inappropriately and you produced some bonds there, some connections that when broken brought a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And a lot of us can probably look back on that very relationship and, and admit it wasn't God's best for us in the first place. We can admit that now. And maybe the pain maybe pain that you still are dealing with 
is something God wanted you to avoid. That's why there would be such a strong command here. Don't arouse or awaken love until the context and the timing are all right. God intends this for your protection. I saw a clear illustration of this in my very first pastoral assignment when I was in Oklahoma. A young lady whose mother attended our church got a word from God. Go talk to Ed. Go talk to Ed. This young lady did not go to church. She was not a Christian. She was not a believer. She did not have a Christian lifestyle. Yet she heard God say to her repeatedly, talk to Ed. And she finally made an appointment with me. And we talked about her relationship with God. And let me tell you, God met her in that room. And we found ourselves in this time of prayer where she prayed to receive Jesus Christ. And she had a powerful spiritual experience, an undeniable experience right there. God touched her. Now, after this experience with God, we continued our conversation about her next steps. And of course, one of the next steps when you commit your life to Christ is to be baptized. And we discussed that. And then she asked about her living situation. She brought it up. She asked me. She said, I'm living with a man I'm not married to. What do you think about that? And I didn't want to be harsh or judgmental or condemning because, you know, a new believer uh, a lot of times needs a little bit of time to really shift a lot of things in their lives. And I knew that God was working and God would work it out. Uh, But I also understood that God calls us to turn from an old way of life to a new way of life. And so I I gently suggested that maybe uh, the next step would be for her to move out. And then, you know, if she wanted to pursue the relationship further, she could. But move out, be baptized, you know, really devote your life to the Lord. And uh, that seemed good. Very good, positive conversation. She left. I thought things were right. But then I heard through the grapevine over the next couple of weeks that she had come into my office asking to be baptized, which is not the way she approached me, but asking to be baptized, and that I told her that she had to move out of her home and wait six months, and then I would baptize her. And of course, in this liberal church, uh, which it was, they thought that was atrocious. They thought that was terribly insensitive on my part. A few months later, the young lady did move out. Why? Because the man she was living with began feeding her. See, God's best for her life was for her protection. What I think God led me to share with her was for her protection. And God's best for your life, which is to avoid sexual intimacy before the right context, is ultimately not to hurt you, not to deny you, not to punish you, but for your protection. And I would just say, along with the Song of Solomon, I charge you, By the Lord God Almighty, which is how it would have been heard. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires, until the right time. God wants to protect you. And not just from a beating from somebody else. God wants to protect you from the harm that we do to ourselves when we step out of God's will. We hurt ourselves. Think about it. We hurt ourselves when we create intimacy before we're ready for the commitment of love 
within the covenant of marriage. Let's get real. I know this. This is not a popular message. This is counter-cultural. But the nature of sexual sin is that it causes pain that God doesn't intend for you to suffer. And one of the best ways to deal with that kind of pain and the head trash that comes along with it is not to embrace the head trash in the first place, not to endure the pain that produces the head trash in the first place. So if you're single, if you're single, please, I beg you, I charge you, Flee from immorality. Run from sexual sin because it's going to hurt you. It really will. It'll hurt you. 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul tells us, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You sin against your own body. Well, what does that have to do with it? Well, Paul's talking about your identity. He's talking not just who you are physically, but who you are as a person represented by your body. And in the verses right before this, Paul quotes Genesis 2.24, and he's talking about the two will become one flesh. Now, when Jesus talks about Genesis 2.24, and he says the two will become one flesh, he's talking about marriage. Explicitly, marriage. What God joins together no one should put asunder. But Paul here is not talking about marriage. Paul is talking about sexual immorality, sexual relationships outside of marriage. And he says that's the same kind of bond. The two become one flesh. And when you have that kind of bond, you are impacting your very own soul. You're doing damage to your soul when you have a bond that God intends only for your marriage relationship. That includes sex before marriage, and that includes sex with someone other than your spouse after marriage. There's a bond there. There's a bond there. And it can hurt when that bond is separated for any reason. A lot of pain. You know, it's like being super glued. You ever super glue your fingers together and then panic a little bit and, you know, pull the skin off? <laughs> Reminds me of when I was a little kid. My mom had metal ice trays and uh, somehow I got one out of the freezer and the frost on the outside looked a little bit tempting. So I stuck my tongue to it and my tongue stuck to the metal ice tray and I was so freaked out by it. I just pulled it off and ripped the skin off my tongue. Uh, that's a lot of pain. And when we have bonds, spiritual bonds, bonds of our souls with other people that are not a spouse, then let me tell you, there is an opportunity there for something far worse than a little bit of skin ripping off to happen to your soul, to your spirit. A lot of pain. So, you know, slow down. Slow down. Slow down. And if you're married already, let me just say this. Adultery exposes you to a lot of pain. It exposes you to rightful divorce. Jesus allowed for divorce in the case of committing adultery. So you're, you're doing damage to your marriage. You're doing damage to your own soul. You're doing damage to your family. You're doing damage to your church. You are dishonoring God. And let me tell you, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt your soul. It's going to hurt your spirit. It's going to hurt your life. And it's going to cause some pain that God wants you to avoid. So do not awaken something 
that God doesn't intend to be awakened or aroused in the first place. Don't do it. Run from it. Flee from it. The same thing that I would have said to the single people. Flee from sexual immorality. If you're married, be radical about running from any kind of sexual immorality. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Now that's not being literal. Don't literally cut off anything, whether you're single or married. What Jesus is trying to say there, hyperbolically, is that if you are being led into temptation, if you're being led into sexual immorality, if you are being led into sin, you need to be radical about cutting that out of your life. Run from it. Run from it. Be radical. And ultimately, this is really not just about you know, the pain that you cause to, your, cause to your own soul or to your marriage, to your future marriage. This is about the pain you cause to God. This, this is about hurting your relationship with Him. And isn't that the most important relationship in all of life? Your relationship with your Creator? I mean, it's your relationship with Him that makes your marriage better. It's your relationship with God that makes your love life better. It's your relationship with God that makes your family life better. Whether as a spouse or whether as a parent or as a child. It's all about relationship with God. And that's the context of Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 of fleeing from immorality. Let's look at that in its bigger context. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. We looked at that. That's a representative of your own identity, your full self. And then he says, verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God. Honor God. Why do we honor God? We honor God because we love God. We honor God because we want to please God. We honor God with our bodies because we know that we're going to save our lot, ourselves a lot of trouble, a lot of pain, because our God loves us, and we want to bring honor and glory to God. When I was in seminary working on my doctor of ministry, I heard a story from one of the professors there about his time at Yale University where he was working on his PhD. And he had a classmate, there was a fellow student who was a young Jewish man, agnostic, and he was a political science major and his studies had led him to a study of the Puritans. And he was especially interested as to why the Puritans did not fornicate. Apparently that's the word he used. And he asked this future professor from Asbury Seminary, he asked him, hey, why don't you fornicate? And uh, the future Asbury professor gave him all kinds of human answers as to why it's not good to uh, enter into that kind of relationship before marriage. And the young Jewish man was very disappointed in the young Christian's answer. Because in his studies of Puritans, he found that Puritans didn't fornicate because they loved God and didn't want to displease God. 
And the young Jewish man said, I thought, if I thought that Christianity could really be like that, I would become a Christian. If people could really shape their lives, resist a connection that God intends for you to experience in the context of marriage because you love God and want to please Him. This young man would have become a Christian himself. And of course, the young Christian student recognized that he had missed an opportunity. God wants to influence the people around you by the way you live, single or married. God wants to prevent a lot of pain in your life as well. And I believe that you'll be much happier and live a much more fulfilled life, not by entering into some kind of connection with another human being that just promises momentary enjoyment. But when you're really committed in marriage, when you're really committed in the kind of love that is described in the Song of Solomon, and when that love is in the context of knowing that you belong to God, you belong to Him. You have been bought with a price, and that is the blood of Jesus. I want to ask you, have you ever acknowledged that Jesus has bought you, that He has purchased you, that He has redeemed you from sin for Himself? If you've never received Jesus Christ and the gift of His forgiveness, the gift of His love, the gift of the, the, the healing that He wants to bring to you, and even if you've messed up in the past sexually or in any other way, our God heals and redeems would you say yes to Jesus right now? That's the most important thing. Would you say yes to him? Yeah, he's going to ask you to, to give up some things. But what he does for you, what he puts within you in terms of his peace and his joy and the direction that he wants to give for your life, he's got a great plan and a great purpose for you. All those things will far outweigh whatever it costs to turn from that thing that's really just hurting you or going to lead to your hurt anyway toward what God has for you? Would you pray this prayer with me right now? Just say this, Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross for my sins. I believe Jesus died, that he was raised from the dead, and he is Lord. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of all my sins. And help me to live for you. I'm yours, God. I'm your child, now and forever. Thank you for receiving me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would say for you, it's important to be baptized. It's important to get connected. In fact, I want to offer some next steps for everybody who's listening because this will help you to walk with God and to walk in purity. Number one, get connected to the family of God. At Victory Church, we do that in two ways. One is by getting involved in a life group, and we have a life group semester that has just started. You can get involved. There are men's life groups that can help you with sexual purity as well. There are other life groups that just being a part of will help you to pursue God's plan and purposes for your life Get involved in one. We can help you with that. Also, get regular church attendance, and whether that's online or in person, make that a part of your weekly rhythm with God. Honor God with your body 
And that's not just refraining from sexual immorality. That's serving God with who you are, offering yourself to God. And there are plenty of volunteer opportunities. We have big days of service. You can find out about those at our website. We have service opportunities within the body of Christ, within our family, and uh, outside the family of God all throughout the year. We want to get you involved in that because it's one of the most fulfilling things that you can ever be a part of. And then be a witness for Jesus. Be a witness for Him. Let people know why you do what you do, and it's because you love God and want to honor and please Him. And I believe God will open up the door for some spiritual conversations, invite people to worship with you, invite people to serve with you. If you know that you're making a difference in other people's lives, it's going to help you in maintaining a walk that is pleasing to God. It's going to be one of the best things that you can do. Stay with us for a little bit longer. We have some important things to share with you, and we're going to wrap up with just a little bit of worship. So God bless you. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for joining us today for Revival Leadership Insights with Ed Crenshaw. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and invite you to subscribe to our podcast and check us out at edcrenshaw.com for free resources.